0: Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash match. Just go to indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast indeed.com slash match terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to take a moment to shout out the network that helps distribute our podcast and that network is armchair media. Armchair is a collection of 50 plus podcasts, including ours, trying to localize the sports world a little bit more. We've been with them, what, over a year now at least? Maybe almost going on two at this point. And we've enjoyed growing our audience with theirs. Starting June 1st, Bet Online will serve as a title sponsor for Armchair as well as our show. This will open up the possibility to develop merchandise lines, as well as post, uh, potentially host live events once we return to a semblance of normalcy. In addition to Bet Online coming aboard, Armchair will now serve as the host network for the world's largest skateboarding podcast, The Nine Club. Big things. Getting some celebs in here, people. Hosted by professional skaters Chris Roberts and Kelly Hart, The Nine Club talks every week with the biggest names in skating. They're on social media at the Nine Club. To see more, search Armchair Media whenever you get your pods and wherever you get your pods. Also, check us out on Armchair's website, ArmchairMediaNetwork.com, and their social channels at Armchair, Armchair Media. Ghost
1: A seemingly innocuous pre-season opinion jarred the sensibilities of the nation, crouching in anticipation of uncoiling at the slightest provocation. The tension, born of our preternatural confinement, needs little to release the kinetic energy of a thousand suns at any national commentator who deigns to judge harshly those who play under the banner of the black and gold. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of the Armchair All-Americans Network. It is May 24th, 2020. This is Tom coming to you from Sawdust Studios at the Washington, D.C. Outpost, and Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. And Nick, that national commentator who deigned, hmm. criticize those who fight under the black and gold banner is one Pete Prisco. Pete CBS. Prisco. CBS.
0: CBS, Pete Prisco, the alliteration himself. Should we be... Uh, talking crap about him or should we be thanking him for getting the attention off of James Harrison?
1: <laughs> well, let me just tell you. So he puts together a top 100 ranking annually. Uh, the Steelers had four players in the top 100. TJ Watt, Cam Hayward, Bud Dupree, and Juju. In the category, I guess in any other category, this would be honorable mentions, but he has them in the just miss category. Big Ben, Minka Fitzpatrick, and David DeCastro. Mm -hmm. And I treat these like I do mock drafts, honestly. I just can't get out of bed. But it has inflamed a nation, insulted by the omission of one Minka Fitzpatrick.
0: Okay, so I'm trying to figure out the way we talk about this, right? Because you're right. it, It doesn't matter at all. I think that... There are some professional analysts, you know, I always cite Chris Sims as a big one, Daniel Jeremiah as another, guys who actually study tape of players. They will post online their studying of said tape with examples of why they hold a particular player in regard or, or, or not, you know? Um, and then there are some other people who, who claim they watch the tape, like Pete Prisco, but here's my stance. If you're not Brian Baldinger, right, and you're over 55, I, don't, I just don't believe you. I don't believe that you watch the tape. I believe that you watch maybe three games max, which, by the way, is a rumor that this guy only watched three games of Minka Fitzpatrick. But uh, And then there's another rumor going around saying that Pete Prisco just forgot to put him on the list. And so now he's doubling down on his take just to sort of justify it or whatever, but... Either way, you can kind of sort the, the real deal analysts from, you know, this type of thing pretty easily. Let's, so, but I think there's cool conversational uh, pieces to talk about. I don't think it's an argument that Minka Fitzpatrick is a top 100 player. I mean, I think Alex Kazora put a tweet out, let me grab it, like a couple of weeks ago saying, if you look over the last eight weeks of the season, let's see. Boom, here it is. After recording four interceptions in six games, Minka Fitzpatrick was targeted just twice over the final eight weeks of the season. Offenses simply stopped throwing the ball anywhere near him. That's the definition of a no-fly zone with a trade by Kevin Colbert. And in addition, if you take those comments, which is, again, from a guy who watches every single snap multiple times, uh, it's a pretty easy stat to track that way, Um, You also look at Minka's comments after the season where he said basically the same thing, like, hey, I know when I was in Miami, I didn't want to move around as much. But that was more because they were playing me out of position. Now that I've got my feet under me as a free safety in Pittsburgh, I really want to move around the field more in my second year because just offenses won't throw at me. So that only happens to the best players in the game. Um I know that looking at the Steelers statistical transformations before he got in to after he got in it's like it's not just one to one right I mean the Steelers also probably got better the more games they played and uh, they didn't have to play the Patriots and stuff like that but What do you have any specific opinions of him leaving off Mink I mean it's like it's not even a discussion is it
1: So my opinion is Minka's kind of Troy like. And even though it's a small sample size, I think he's had a profound effect on the Steelers defensive performance. And yet some of the younger guys, like Devin Bush, let's say, started getting his C legs. But generally everybody else had been on the field, so I think the difference maker was Minka. And it was a huge yeah. difference between before and after him arriving at the Steelers.
0: Yeah, and I, I do think some of that is like listen, I I I almost don't even care who the Steelers have on their team when they play the Patriots nine times out of ten they just get out-coached to the moon, you know? So them playing the Patriots in the first game is going to ruin some of their defensive statistics, let alone their confidence in themselves. And then they played Russell Wilson, who's just the one unstoppable one-man band. So before he came in, well, that was the only two games. Then he, his first game was against San Francisco, right? So even then, it's kind of like, uh, you know, they played two pretty insane teams in the first... Uh, two games of the season. But you're right. I mean, the difference is just too gigantic to to understate. And I know what you mean. When you say Troy-like, it's like we're not saying he, he plays like Troy. They play very different positions in terms of like um uh, like Minka being more of a finesse guy, more of a free safety type, and Troy being a in-the-box type of guy. But it was insane during those Troy years how the defense would dip when he wasn't in there. My And even look at the Steelers uh, Prisco did include. Like, he put Juju on there, and I love Juju, and I think that he's, like, and if you look at Juju's season and and think that, like, there's national people, or even Nate Berlinson, who I really like, are saying, well, the Steelers have to prove that they can have a good offense after Antonio Brown's been gone. And I'm like, what do you, you know that since Antonio Brown's been gone, Ben Roethlisberger's been gone, too, right? And James Conner and Juju were injured for the majority of the year. And they didn't have Joe Flacco in there. They didn't even have Kyle Allen in there. They had Duck and Mason. So that's really the big reason for Juju's drop-off that way. And I think that we've reiterated this a number of times. He's going to have a bounce-back season. He's never going to be A.B. for some of the spoiled Steelers fans out there who expect him to have 120 catches. But even with me saying him being that good, like you, can't put a, you couldn't possibly justify him as a top-100 player last year. I mean, he was kind of a non-factor.
1: Well, the the title of this this list is Top 100 of 2020, and the fact that he listed Ben on there as a an almost just missed right. means I think he's looking forward to the coming season. I'm not apologizing for him, but I think if you're looking forward, that's why those guys are on the on the list. And and same with Bud.
0: Okay. Well. Well. Then if you take it that way, if he's projecting forward, which I didn't realize, and you can't watch the tape of Minka Fitzpatrick and realize he's the top player in the NFL, then. It doesn't say anything to me about his uh, like, uh, ability to scout or anything. It just exposes him as a fraud, as somebody who doesn't do the work or doesn't even know how to scout at all or who doesn't have a department that's scouting for him because you, there's no way you're going to find another person who works in the NFL that's going to agree with that take. So how do these guys get airtime? <laughs>
1: But they've got to do something. I mean, look, don't, don't you think Prisco's numbers are, are going through the roof and just any publicity is better than no publicity? For sure. I mean, he's getting so much. Let's go back to your original question. Does this help or hurt, or is it neutral for the Steelers?
0: It helps. We know that the Steelers are way better when they're under the radar, and this is just one of those years where they're the most under, like ultimate under-the-radar team. And it's justified because the Ravens are incredible. I mean, they are stacked. This is To me, is this is the best Ravens team I've... The most scary Ravens team I've seen, uh, you know, since that crazy initial F- Super Bowl team. And even that team, you thought, like, oh, the offense is so bad. It has to end at some point, right? Th- there's so much balance on this Ravens team. They're so young, and there's a lot of talent. So, of course, they're getting a lot of hype. They have the MVP on their team. The Browns we all know that they're going to be the browns at the end of the day but still the the talent that they've amassed is pretty outrageous as well and joe burrow joining a more talented than you would think cincinnati team and of course just his fame is making a lot of people talk about the people around the steelers and then just the fact that there is such a question mark with ben uh hoping that his Elbow heels. And then with the receivers who people who watch the receivers in Pittsburgh, I think we're all pretty confident in Deontay, Juju, and Washington. But if you if you're not a Steelers fan, like there's really no way that you would know about those guys just yet, right? So there's so many question marks about the Steelers, so I understand that they're under the radar. Now you're gonna take maybe their you know second best player after TJ Watt and call him a bum, which by the way, Cam Hayward was defending him on Pete Prisco's Twitter thread So you've made Cam Hayward mad now Thank you Uh, It's This is honestly Good for the Steelers We saw it with The Killer Bees era When they were Too hyped up They don't get it done But when they're Playing the underdog eh, We got them right Where we want them
1: well, I honestly don't think it matters. It's no. obviously it's it's bulletin board material for national commentators, not another team. I think it's better for, for Baltimore to get all the attention yeah. and us to silently show up and just be the silent killer.
0: Because, by the way, Baltimore is great, but I don't think they're that much better than the Steelers. I don't even know if I think their roster is better. I think they're pretty even, and obviously Lamar Jackson would have a long way to go to have you know, be considered as good of a quarterback as Ben is over the course of a career. But right now, he's the MVP of football. I mean, so he's just such a big factor for them. So maybe I'll give them the edge in that uh, category. But. You look everywhere else, the secondaries, they're they're comparable. The, the Ravens have some big-name guys in the secondary. There's misconceptions about Earl Thomas. Like, this isn't four years ago. This isn't Earl Thomas anymore. This is, like, late-career Earl Thomas, right? But then they also have Marcus Peters, who Steelers fans know. I mean, he's considered a top corner, but whenever he plays the Steelers, he gives up an 80-yard touchdown, so he's not ultimately concerning for me. Humphrey's their cornerback, legit superstar. But then we got Minka Fitzpatrick, Hayden, old man Hayden, and and Nelsons. That's comparable. Linebackers are pretty comparable at this point. Defensive line, the Steelers have more stars with Tewitt and Hayward, but the Ravens definitely have more depth. So you're sort of getting a wash there. And you've already looked, okay, the defenses are pretty even. Now at offense, if Ben can return to his form, you're going to give the edge to Lamar, but not by a ton. Steelers receivers are better. Offensive lines are generally comparable. Running backs in Baltimore are better. So there's um, but again, if if Connor's playing well, that's a, I'll take that any day of the week. So they're really even uh, teams, and and maybe this does matter because I know you and I like to think sometimes. Oh, nobody cares about this. This is just bozos talking. Well, Cam Hayward, the captain of the team, and seemingly like one of the only like adult members of the Steelers, like him and Ben are the only guys who strike me as like, we've been doing this for a long time kind of guys. He's on there commenting on Twitter. So you know that this is going to fire guys up, uh, especially in training camp. And hopefully when Ben's playing in training camp, I would think that the defense, especially guys like Cam, will be tired of really being an embarrassment, uh, not Cam's fault, but being an embarrassment in Pittsburgh for the past 10 years. And the reason why the Steelers haven't won the Super Bowl was their pathetic showing against the Jaguars and, and whoever else it may be, right? Um, and so I think they'll be psyched to get in a training camp and show the Steelers' offense that, hey, we're the top dogs in town. And then seeing Ben out there raising the level of practice, it's going to raise the competition. It's also going to inspire the defensive players who have all tweeted, you know, hype videos when when Ben returned and stuff like that. So I actually do think they will use this kind of stuff as motivation. Minka Fitzpatrick retweeted Pete Prisco and basically said, like, yeah, that's not right, but thanks for the motivation.
1: Speaking of old guys and social media, Big Ben put out his own tweet. I'm guessing it was his social media manager, Juju, encouraged him to do this. But they showed him – he showed him out on the field, making passes to Connor, right. Juju, and right, Switzer last week. Uh huh. And when you and when you look at this, uh, why am I reporting this? Because this, oh, because this uh, tweet came out after we reported this. So he's got this little video of them at some high school, and uh, they're showing him getting his beard and his hair cut. And you know what? Yeah, he I got think? in
0: trouble, by the way, from the governor on that. I don't know if you heard about that.
1: Oh uh, yeah, because he, he was ben. violating.
0: Yeah, the the, um, the quarantine rules, but the barber came out and said that it was a private uh, house call and they were wearing masks and uh, it's Ben Roethlisberger, so just shut up.
1: <laughs> ben certainly wasn't wearing masks. But when you look at this video, you wonder if the, the purpose of that beard was to make sure his elbow was all the way out because he, he couldn't bring any close. <laughs> Watching him throw this with this... Mountain man beard on is is hysterical. It's pretty cool, but here's the problem. By the way, I'm looking at it. I'm seeing the barbers in the mirror. I don't see no masks.
0: Yeah, well,
1: I don't really anyways, care. I just think it's funny.
0: <laughs> I I will encourage the audience wear the damn mask if you can, because it's not just about you. There's you know, you can be asymptomatic and you can go give it to somebody else. Like all the members of my band who. We are having rehearsals now for a couple gigs that have popped up, and they have obeyed no social distancing for any point of the quarantine, and I will be the one to get sick. So just wear the damn mask. But either way, um, I people would compare that Ben Beard to Ryan Fitzpatrick, and I want to say he, he should have called Fitzpatrick because Fitzpatrick lets to grow, but there's some sort of trimmage around the um, – Cubic like outer frame of the beard where Ben should have trimmed at least the sides to shape the thing because otherwise how awesome would it be for Ben to end his career with the Grizzly Adams Ryan Fitzpatrick beard it actually will be phenomenal but not the version he had he just needs to to clip the sides a little bit but I wish he would keep it in honor of Kiesel
1: I think that just sort of defeats the purpose to trim it you either just let it go I thought Fitzpatrick was pretty unruly
0: it's some, it's, it adds more of a shape to it. This is where we're at in the uh, in the offseason, by the way.
1: I have a better question. So your shape analysis. Joe flecko gets picked up by the Fleckle. New York Jets as a backup quarterback.
0: Yes. yes, I think that that was a smart move, and I think it leads to another uh, talking point for us with our, our backup QB situation. So there's a couple of different facets to this. Number one, it's interesting to see that a team picks up a veteran like Joe Flacco even though they have Sam Darnold. But if you remember, Sam Darnold uh, caught Mono from making out with too many hotties in New York last year, and it sort of tanked the Jets' season. So Adam Gase is making a smart move, in my opinion, bringing a guy in who, if Darnold gets hurt again, the season won't be tanked. You got a guy who can go in and win some games for you. Also, the nice thing about Joe Flacco is... He's just not that popular of a quarterback and he's not that dynamic of an athlete. So it's not like bringing Cam or even Jameis onto your team where, you know, there's going to be, you know, I think Sam Darnold has great potential as an NFL quarterback. He might just be screwed based on the complete lack of roster construction in New York. But to me, he's kind of a Tony Romo type. Which is to say, I think Tony Romo actually has a lot of similarities to Ben, like a small version of Ben, in which there are guys that are great scrambling behind the line, line of scrimmage, buying time and making big throws downfield. They're not like runners, but they buy time and they're very creative that way. I think Darnold is like that. But if you had Cam Newton or Jameis Winston, I mean, both of those guys, when they walk on the field, I mean, especially Cam Newton, I mean, he's LeBron James. He's like a god. And, and then his arm is going to be better than Sam's. Same with Winston. You could have a weird little quarterback controversy there if you bring one of those guys in. With Flacco, yeah, his arm is better, but he's not the most exciting guy in the world. He's like uh, similar to getting like a Case Keenum or a Teddy Bridgewater. Guys who can be starters, but they're not going to disrupt the balance of your team. And I like that move for the Jets. And I think the Jets made it because Gase knows he's going to get fired if they suck again this year or next year, right? The Steelers are kind of constantly the subject of these quarterback talks with Cam Newton still being out and Jameis obviously got picked up by the Saints, but I know Steelers fans get mad when rumors about those guys going to the Steelers were were percolating, but I mostly because of the salary cap issue, right? Like Nobody knew Jameis was going to sign for a million dollars, and that's what we said too. Like, listen, it would be nice to have Jameis, but there's no way you're going to be able to sign him for that. And I honestly don't know if he would have signed for that in Pittsburgh. Uh, maybe that was a New Orleans thing with Sean Payton. But I digress. So it was annoying seeing people sort of mock Cam and Jameis to the Steelers because it seemed like they didn't have any knowledge of the Steelers cap situation. But from a strategy point, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, the Steelers went 8-6 and six with Rudolph and Duck last year. They're in the Super Bowl window you would like to get a guy who can come in there and win three or four games for Ben if he misses some time. Now, hey, maybe that is Rudolph and Duck, but I don't think those are guys who go in and win games. I think they, the Steelers have sort of won in spite of those guys. In addition to that, we know it's Ben's like last two years, so the thing that's interesting about Jameis more than, more than Cam, I mean, I, listen, I know most people just don't even want to touch Jameis because he throws an interception every other pass, but I, I get the, the theory of, like, he'll still be in his physical prime when Ben leaves, so you could have a good backup for Ben and then have a your next starter or a good bridge guy if you still have the team together. So I get that, but I just think that I wish the Steelers had signed an Andy Dalton. I mean, who? I guess he got $7 million, so who knew that was going to happen? Or a Teddy Bridgewater or a Case Keenum type of guy or Kyle Allen even from the Panthers. Just... I guess they traded for him, but either way, I'm not super comfortable with the Steelers' backup situation. How do you feel about it?
1: Uh, can I just back up to something you said before? Yeah the question the question of Jameis' price tag wasn't right. known. It's or maybe he took it because he could play in New Orleans because of the imminent um,
0: turnover from Breeze, yeah, and, and Sean Payton being such a good offensive coach.
1: Which is which is uh, we're not in exactly the same seat. Right, Ben is Ben's not going to is likely not to play sixteen games, and the door is going to open in two years. And maybe if Winston just signed a one year contract, uh, this this wouldn't play out the way I'm talking about. But it still seems like people would know what his price was. It's hard to believe that they would keep something like that secret That's when true. he was being shopped around. So maybe you're right. Maybe it was like it was a million dollars only for this team. But it seems like Pittsburgh would be a great opportunity for a guy like him.
0: I know it's actually a phenomenal fit. Him and like he's like a worse version of Ben, but they're like the same style quarterback. Both gigantic QBs who move well enough behind the line of scrimmage, but they have rocket arms and they love to throw the ball down the field. The difference is James throws twice as many interceptions. But again, it's like it does make sense from a fit perspective. And I think uh, I don't know if the Steelers are being stubborn here or they didn't think that they would just have the money to buy to get a quarterback like that. Um, Because sure, I think. Rudolph and even Duck will improve a little bit, but they're not they're they're not going to go out there and win a game for you. I don't know, a backup's not supposed to do that. But um yeah, don't it, you think
1: don't you think it could be that they just don't need any more drama in Pittsburgh with Ben?
0: Well, that 100%. You're right. And, and look at those two quarterbacks. Jameis he 's just a lightning rod for all kinds of stuff, so I, I do understand that and cam there are some reporters getting angry that cam hasn 't been signed right this is he 's thirty one years old, former NFL mVP and and Joe Flacco is coming off of major surgery and he 's not going to be ready to play towards like till like almost towards the fall and there were some re- i think Mike Freeman or somebody tweeted out the joe flacco deal and said like okay so nobody can tell me that the injuries are the reason for cam not getting a job because flacco has a big injury and i just think that he's totally missing the point because in my opinion tell me if you disagree but i think nfl teams would jump at the opportunity to sign an mvp quarterback on the market if there were no extenuating circumstances But the reality is, with Cam, there are extenuating circumstances. There's two or three major ones. Number one, it's two years of injuries. It's not one year. It's the past two years he's been struggling with injuries, and he's been very bad. He was horrific. He was a disaster last year. And, yes, part of that was because he's playing on an injury. But his injuries are extensive, and his game, more than any other quarterback in the entire league, you could say maybe Lamar Jackson, he relies on the physicality and he played quarterback like a running back. They have quarterback dive and off tackle plays for him. He's not like Lamar running on the outside like he runs through the line. And we're over 10 years into his career now. And what happens to running backs 10 years into their career? They start breaking down. So I understand why you wouldn't pick up Cam because it's such a financial risk. If you could have gotten him for 1 million, then I bet you somebody would have gotten him, but I don't think he's taking that money. So to say that, like, like yeah, Joe Flacco's going to recover from surgery, and then he's going to go sit in the pocket like he always does, and he's going to throw the ball. But if, you, if Cam can't play the way he's supposed to, this is a way bigger deal. And then the second thing is what I was talking about earlier. I mean, Cam is a Greek god, and it's going to create a quarterback controversy like anywhere outside of, you know, Kansas City or Baltimore or Russell Wilson's team or or anything like that, you know? So that really can mess up the balance of your team, and I understand why someone wouldn't want to do that. And and even for the Steelers, it would be a tricky proposition because they struggled so much with the off-field drama during the end of the Killer Bees era, and I think it might be a little hard to say that that didn't affect them on the field at all.
1: You know, the answer to their question, though, is, yeah, I'd like another Ben backing Ben up. It's <laughs> yeah. in, it's impossible for it's impossible for several reasons. I mean, we have to accept the situation as it is, right? You couldn't get a veteran that you could afford. You couldn't get a veteran that would fit in. You don't want to draft somebody because there's nobody starter right. ready, let alone— I mean, I don't think there's a backup ready guy out there who's who's going to probably be better than Mason that we could have gotten. Right. So my, I, I guess I have to be able to sleep at night knowing— Ben won't get hurt; he won't miss any of the games. But if he does, um, you got a totally Batch situation. Maybe Mason can hold it together, and the defense yeah, wins you the game for sure. And that's and, what and we have to go in with
0: for sure. And it was ugly last year, but they somehow found ways to win games. But again, you're not going to be able to count on the Steelers creating like record turnovers again this year. I think they'll have a lot, but it's just some of those wins that they got were kind of miracle type situations. But I guess I here's. Final thoughts there. I agree with you. Like, did people want a Ben back in a Ben? Like, that's only happened like like three times ever. It's like Montana, Young, Favre, Rogers, and then Luck after (laughs) Peyton Manning. But my thing is more related to the fact that if you're a team in the Super Bowl window, you should go the Eagles route or the Saints route. You know, last year the Saints won four games in a row or five with Teddy Bridgewater. They had a guy ready, and they prioritized. They spent some money to bring him in. And I think that when you're a really good team like that, you it, backup quarterback is a much more important position than it is on other teams. I've been saying this, by the way, for a long time. The Steelers got to look maybe next year at Josh Rosen to see if there's something there trade-wise. I'm not even saying as a starter, but just as a, hey, this was a you know, top 15 pick guy who's going to sell for nothing. On the market now, you might as well bring him In for the competition post-Ben But that makes, that wouldn't Have made sense this year, really
1: I'm not disagreeing with you, I'm just Trying to figure out no, why they did it. what they did When you think about the money situation Maybe, did yeah. they back themselves in a Corner, or did they, they knew what they were Getting when they spent the money they did, and maybe It was, we're just going to have this Unbelievable defense, and that's where They invested the money Because they know they can get wide receivers In the sixth round who can Start within a year. That's right. Hey, so the Steelers, uh, paying a little homage to the pandemic, have started selling season tickets, but they're holding back 50% of their inventory. And I'm doing the math and I'm imagining somebody in every other seat, and that's not six feet, is it?
0: Yeah. Not Let alone quite. coming
1: through the tunnel. Yes.
0: Yeah, so Was that the plan? It's like 50% occupancy, or if you're a creative enough team, do you make, like, shapes? Is it, like, the Pittsburgh skyline shape or, like, the Steelers emblem in the in the crowd? That could be kind of cool. What do you mean? Like, well, you're going to have to space the fans out, so you might as well put them in, like, a cool shape so that we're watching on, on TV. Uh, it looks like they're making, like, the Pittsburgh skyline in the stands.
1: Oh, I thought they were going to put up blow-up dolls in every other seat as a shield against your... Your neighboring coronavirus carrier. How how
0: crazy would that be if they put up actual shields? Yeah. Those would go down by the third quarter.
1: So we were talking about Cam, and there's this illusion that he's being um, intentionally held back. But I think there's a more uh, more applicable situation. Cam Newton, yeah. yeah. And we're talking about changes to the Rooney rule. Right. And... There was something called, I guess they're calling it the Biennemi Amendment that wasn't adopted. But the uh, NFL has ratcheted up the Rooney Rule by increasing the number of minority candidates you have to interview as a head coach. I think as a
0: coordinator, too, right?
1: Yeah, coordinator, head coach, and then at least one for several other positions. And I think they've added women have to be um, interviewed for some of these positions as well. And when you read this article I read by John Feinstein in the Washington Post this weekend it, it was ridiculous this whole thing has been honored in the breach rather than in practical sense where you know just they were going through the motions and it's insane to think what was like how many guys were how many minority coaches were there last year this the uh, statistic was I mean, six percent of the least 6% of the league's coaches, including assistants, were African-American.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a number that's way too low. And so what goes into that? I think I'm sure there's there. Of course, you can't, you know, it's dangerous to call everything racist. And it's also dangerous to just blindly assume that there's no racism uh, playing a factor. So I'm sure there's some of that. But it does seem more like the the boys' club type of thing where s- there's so much nepotism. Like, it's rampant in the NFL. And then beyond the nepotism, when you look at the people kind of moving up the ranks, you even look at two of the best young coaches, McVay and... Um, Shanahan both had like dads coaching and got them their first jobs and stuff like that. And and they deserved it. But just to even get your foot in the door is tough that way. And then what happens is the same group of coaches kind of get recycled. And and, and like Adam Gase, how has he gotten three head coaching jobs? But then he's going to go grab the guys that he's worked with before. So it's this sort of incestuous circle. And I think that it's just hard to crack that circle. Now it's insanity considering the percentage of players that are african-american like it just does not make any sense that the coaches in front office um, don't have that type of representation because there's probably stars all over the place that are not being uncovered as as head coaching candidates and thank god the steelers were able to uncover tomlin when they did but um yeah so i think it's kind of a combination of all those things it's just hard to break into the circle in general since it's such really a, a small group and people just like to go with what they're familiar with. In turn, and by familiar with, I'm like, they hire people they personally know, or that they've worked with already. And if all the people who are working are white, then that's the, the that's the pool of people you know already. So, they're making some valiant um, attempts to figure this out, but it's complex. I don't know how you how you do it because obviously they shot down the rule probably wisely, of enticing teams, rewarding them with draft picks in in exchange for hiring people of color. Uh, Tony Dungy was was the big kind of reason why they didn't pass that rule because he said it would put coaches of color in odd positions when they walked into the building because they might deserve the job, but they could be wondering, hey, do people think I'm just here because we're getting a free draft pick? And you're almost undermining them before they even walk in the door.
1: Okay, hey, so for all those reasons, uh, I agree that's going on. One thing you have to be careful about, though, is just because the preponderance of the players in the NFL are African-American doesn't mean they necessarily get a foot up as a coach. When you think about coaches, how many of them have actually played in the NFL, at least for any substantial time? Many of them start right out of college doing grunt work, and they have years of experience by the time a good NFL player could even emerges as a, from a player to be available Meanwhile, some of these young guys come right out. You know, they're, doing, they're, they're watching a million hours of tape. They're getting their own mentorship and coaching. So some of these guys, if you don't get them early, you don't, you know, they're not going to emerge. You, you don't just, like, Troy sure. doesn't walk out and become a coach. I mean, I, and we've seen examples oh, where it course. actually doesn't work well.
0: No, it usually the, doesn't work with stars. But all of the white coaches played, they just sucked. <laughs> they just played at smaller colleges. Um, Shanahan? Yeah, he was Chris Sims, wide receiver at the University of Texas. He was like the sixth wide oh. receiver on the team.
1: No, I meant NFL players.
0: Um, well, you even where look they lose at. Time? No, I I agree with what you're saying. Star players almost never make good coaches. But still, all the coaches were at once football players. And even if you look in the college ranks, which is usually where their careers ended, even that is just you know there's such a large percentage of African-Americans in particular who are playing and they know that... So I'm not saying it has to be a a star player, but I'm just saying such a large percentage of the people who make up the game are African-American that the percentage being so insanely low at 6%, I think statistically shows that there's a misrepresentation there. But I do agree with your um, assessment, of course, that... Yeah, star player, actually, I think a star player, like, almost never makes a great coach. It's sort of like, we even talk about this in music teaching as well, where it's like, if you're such a stud, a lot of the fundamentals and a lot of the ability to play the game, they just come naturally to you. You can't explain it. Like, yeah, when um, the guy gets in your way in the lane, you just jump over him and you you just dunk on him. That's usually a good strategy. Just go ahead and do that. But I can't do that. Well, I... uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I can't help you.
1: <laughs> well, look, I, I and you, you could see why um, Dungey didn't want to take that incentive. I mean, it, it's it's demeaning right to say the, yeah, I'll take him and three draft plays and um, for the naked lady tees. Right. And, <laughs> it's just a demeaning situation to have to have it incentivized. Somebody's just going to have to step up and take a chance. Yeah, you're going to screwing them over. Sure. You just need some critical mass. So, as you said, the boys, the old boys network includes, you know, more diversification of the people who are in the coaching ranks. So,
0: yeah, yeah. That's all I want to see is, is just um, because, honestly, that's what the teams should want is finding the Sean McVays. And, and there's just a big, and what I'm saying is there's just a big pool of a crazy huge people of, uh, a crazy huge pool of people, excuse me, that are not even being examined. And uh, look at Mike Tomlin. I mean, he was such a random hire when they made him. And I know some people want to hate on Tomlin, but it's just hard to argue against the fact of him being a good coach. And if you hate on Tomlin, I'd like you to say, well, well show me the other coach that's not Bill Belichick. You can't name Bill Bel- Belichick. There's not one. You could say Sean Payton, like he went 8-8 eight and eight for like four years in a row. He couldn't make a top 25 defense for 10 years and wasted the prime of Drew Brees' career not being able to put a defense together. So pick whoever you want, right? But – um, you know, hiring somebody like Mike Tomlin, who came from the Tony Dungy tree. By the way, Tony Dungy just responsible for so much of this great Steeler. And by the way, he still identifies as a Steeler. Sometimes I catch him saying we when he talks about the Steelers. I love it. It's, it's beautiful. <laughs> but so many of those coaches from his uh, Tampa Bay coaching tree, which is where Mike Tomlin was. Uh, there were a couple other guys. I forget some of the main uh, like African-American head coaches. But, t- yeah, Tony Dungy just um, He's so damn wise, that guy. But, yeah, again, even Sean McVay, who would have taken a risk on a tight ends coach from Washington as the coach for the Rams, and then that guy revolutionizes the offense for a little bit, gets them to a Super Bowl, and uh, you just are missing out on people by rehiring Pat Shermer and Mike McCarthy all the time.
1: All right, a lot more to talk about than I would have thought this week. So thanks for those national commentators and their polls. So visit us on our website at www.steelersoutpost.com. Check us out on Instagram at Steelers Outpost. Hit us up on Twitter at Steelers Outpost or shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next week, go Steelers.
0: Okay, bye-bye. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis
1: International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane.